Hello, and welcome back to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back to continue our discussion about the experience of women in the workplace. Women face some unique challenges in the workplace, and those challenges can be amplified in certain male-dominated industries. For example, did you know that women hold less than a third of tech positions? And of the 50 largest tech companies in the world, only two have female CEOs. Here to share her own experiences as a woman in the tech field is Trina Celeste. Trina is the founder and CEO of Rise Next, a social good for-profit company focused on rising up the next level of diverse technologists and leaders. Trina spearheaded the launch of the Tech Moms program and is educating and supporting the transition of women's careers into the technology industry. She also consults companies in diversity strategy and leadership development to support women in the workforce. Trina, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Trina, we know that women are underrepresented in a lot of ways in the workplace and in leadership. But as we've just heard, this is especially the case in the tech industry. Only two female CEOs from the top 50 tech companies. Talk to us about why the tech space presents these unique challenges for women. Yeah, there's so much here. There's not enough time today. So I'm going to try and hit the big ones. There's a reason why this can't be solved easily is because there's so many variables and challenges that are happening. But I thought if I could just introduce a little bit, because I think the context on my journey might help in some of the things that I'm talking about. Absolutely. So I've been in the tech industry for 30 years. So I did my computer science degree back in 1996. So I've been doing this for a while, right? And very passionate about seeing women in technology all this time. I actually wrote my thesis paper while in school doing my computer science degree on why women should go into computer science. And the numbers were actually higher back then. It's becoming less women going into these fields. And and you would think it'd be growing with the industry, not against it. And so this has been not just a recent thing for me. This has been a lifelong journey and passion of mine to see more women seize the opportunities that are there. Because the frustration I have is we opt out. That's part of one of the challenges. We're opting out of the best jobs there are, the highest paid, the most flexible, the remote working, all of these different great advantages from others. We say tech jobs are mom jobs, yet moms are not going into the jobs that most enable their life. Everyone that we've talked to this season, everyone you talk to in your life, everyone I talk to in my life, that's what we talk about, that it's a big problem, a pervasive problem, a multi-layered problem, and how do we address it? So first, let's talk about why is tech a good match for moms, for women? I I could talk about this all day. I do, actually. I do talk about this all day, every day. So one of the, the biggest things is I, you know, when I was growing up, nobody said, hey, Trina, you need to go into computer science. I didn't see other women that were doing this. I just was fortunate enough to listen to my own inner spark of like, hey, there might be something here. So I actually started out in architectural engineering. So still very much of a design and engineering mindset. Like I knew it was always there. And I took a Pascal programming class, which went, oh, this is awesome. I can do this. And I just did it. I don't 
know if a lot of women get that same opportunity to have exposure. And it starts with awareness. Like, do I even know this is an option? And a lot of what we do in tech moms is just demystify the whole tech industry. We make it too complicated. And people think, well, that's not me. That's the guy in, sitting in the dark in the basement coding. Instead of seeing people like me that are like, hey, I like fashion and they call me tech Barbie and I like to do engineering or whatever, you know, you can do both. And the other thing is there's this idea of to be a mom or a parent, specifically a mom, you can't do both. That's kind of what's told to us. It's like you're either a stay-at-home mom or you're full in working and there's no way to have a successful family and a career. And it's not true. You can't do it all. You can't balance it all, but you can find harmony between like, okay, I can have a really good career and successfully raise my family. And I think that message is not out there that you can do both of these things and what the opportunities are. So you've kind of got this mix of awareness of, yeah, it can be done. Here's how, and here's the different opportunities are available. Well, so much to get into here, but one thing I love that you said, Trina, is this idea of demystifying tech for people, women in particular, who maybe haven't been exposed to it, don't have the awareness. But in this opting out of these opportunities, also this mindset shift for women themselves, but I think also for companies, which Let's talk about that in a minute, but let's start with the women themselves. What are the stereotypes or misconceptions that women have about tech being a possibility for them? Yeah, there's two things there. We now have over 400 women that have gone through the program and run 27 cohorts across the Wasatch Front and nationally. So we're growing this community which instead of a bro club, I'm calling it a bra club, but I'm like, <laughs> you don't have to go with that. I'm like, I'm creating my own club, right? And it is amazing. So a lot of the work is to go, okay, I've got my own community. So the bro culture, it exists. It's real. That's how the people will promote and help those that look like them and they're familiar with. If you haven't been networking with women and you're uncomfortable with women, guess what? They're getting left behind. So within our community, we have tech moms that hire tech moms, refer tech moms. Hey, I found this job. That is the power. It's not the class. It's the community that's coming in after the fact that we're now lifting each other. And we were in this Tech Moms Latinas program and somebody said to me, hey, Trina, are we even going to be wanted? Ugh. I just had to say, who gives a shit? We're coming anyway. I'm sorry. You can edit that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just... I'm so done with that mindset. Who cares if we're wanted? We've got something valuable and we have something in our mindset that needs to be heard. That has to get out there. And it starts inside that mindset, like you were talking about, to say, I got something valuable to add to this world. And I know technology is a way for me to solve problems. You know, we have women that are starting tech companies that are going to solve major issues for like, she was in nursing for many years. She realized that they're not being able to connect contracts between the hospitals looking for nurses and being able to streamline that process. She's creating a tech company. I'm like, that's what's missing in the world is we're holding ourselves back to creating the greatest changes that could come and solve some of the world's biggest problems. I love this idea that instead of worrying about how other people are going to respond to me, 
worry about what can I do? Yeah. And other people's responses, other people's problem or opportunity. Let's talk about the flip side. So much great problem solving for the misconceptions that women have about themselves and their opportunities, their abilities in the tech space. Let's flip it to companies, organizations, corporations, as they are looking at employees, potential employees, potential leaders in their companies. What misconceptions do they have about women or how are these corporate cultures kind of reinforcing and enabling these stereotypes? Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath here before I get into this one. (laughs) We all should. Everyone, take a deep breath. And here we go. We're solving the world's problems right now. I call them tune-in moments throughout my book. Okay, just tune in for a moment. All right, now let's move forward. Sexism is pervasive. It does exist, first of all. One of the first things, though, when I talk to a company is they're like, oh, we don't deal with that. Not true. The reason you're not dealing with it is because you're not talking about it and you're not aware. And so they think it doesn't exist because they're not talking about it. So I do training on sexism in the workforce, breaking the bias. And what I'll do is in the chat, I will say, okay, if I'm going to talk about all these different forms of sexism, there's eight different ways you can have sexism, bias, inequality, discrimination, right? Like there's a lot there. And so I'll say, if I talk about something and you've experienced it or seen it, put a Y in the chat. Every time I've run this training, it just scrolls through the chat, just hundreds, hundreds. We've got to first stop saying this isn't happening. And then what are we going to do about it? I have two chapters on what I call pest control. If your life is like a garden and you're, you're trying to bloom, you're trying to take care of your mental soil, you're trying to keep out the goats, you're pulling the weeds, right? Of fear, doubt, shame, guilt, all those things. But guess what? Women also have a lot more pests that they're having to fight that men don't. They just don't. And it could be also if you're a woman of color, you're dealing with that. You know, it could be intolerance if based on sexual identity. Like some people have more pests that they're having to deal with on top of it. And I wish we would just pay women more because the fact that we deal with this, like we should be paid a premium, for, right? For the fact Hardship. that we have to go into the workforce and put up with this. Like, why are we paying less to be able to have to go in and expose ourselves to that emotional trauma? Instead of getting a thicker skin, which is what I did most of my career, I'm like, okay, just freaking move through it. Just build a thicker skin. Just, okay, when when I was told twice in my career, Trina, you didn't get that promotion because he needs to provide for his family, talking about the other candidate. I've been told I'm too crisp. I'm too bossy. I'm too aggressive. Anytime you're told to or should, those are trigger red flag words of, you're not matching what I expect a woman to be in my mind. Okay, that's a bias flag right there, to or should. And you can stop and say, I think you might be saying a sexist statement. Can you explain to me more why you said that? We need to have a stronger voice, not a thicker skin. We need to start speaking up and saying this isn't okay. And I think we're getting to a climate, you know, you had the Me Too movement, but it didn't really, it just created awareness. Yeah, it's real. But what do we do about it? Get educated on the various forms of sexism, what they are, 
be able to identify them and have some ready statements of the easiest one is to say, can you explain that to me? If you're feeling it and you're having an emotional reaction, most likely it was a biased statement, right? So how do I respond to that? How do I now take it and go, I'm not trying to be difficult, but that's not okay. One larger theme that we're exploring this season is the idea of empathy and empathetic leadership. And I think that this is a great example of that first empathy to not judge people or companies who are making mistakes, right? Or who are working through these issues. So approaching the problem itself from a place of empathy and saying, hey, this is something that everyone deals with. I even make mistakes as a woman myself. And then being empathetic as people work through it, right? Forgiving mistakes. Exactly. It makes me so happy that you're focusing on that. So about a year ago, I started doing emotional intelligence in the workplace training and empathy and leadership. It is game-changing to recognize that we are emotional people. We are human. Emotion is what makes us human. And a lot of what we're dealing with is avoiding emotion. We're avoiding talking about our emotions. And I had a company and he's like, I'm so tired of us having to talk. Like, we don't want to sit around and talk about our feelings all the time. (laughs) And I'm like, that reaction is an emotional reaction. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the emotion is there. And if we just kind of like avoid it, it's like, oh, why am I feeling that? Why am I feeling anger against talking about sexism? Why am I? That's That's an emotion. Anger is an emotion. As I was going through my career, they'd be like, oh, women are emotional. I've heard heard that so many times. The amount of anger that I have seen in the workplace is pervasive, yet we don't acknowledge it as an emotion. So to say women are emotional is so falsely wrong because I see it actually. I think women can be a little bit more level at getting through stuff. Okay. And they're like used to dealing with like a lot of things at the same time the emotional and empathy and saying, okay, these are going to be emotionally triggering conversations. We're going to have emotions first, allow them to be, and then our bodies work that way. We have emotion first, and then it hits our logical thinking. Slowing down in our responses really helps with some of those like, oh, I'm feeling that. Let me just pause for a minute before I respond. Well, let's talk about promotions, Trina, because this is the big delta, right? So we've talked about getting women into tech, that mindset shift for the women themselves, for the companies that are hiring them. But now we see this issue of even if women get into a tech career, they're not making it to this next level. What needs to happen in this gap for on the side of the employee and on the side of the company. Why is that the hardest step? It's that two-pronged approach. That's why my trainings are always like both sides, right? Because at eBay, I did a women in leadership training based on the book by Sally Hulgeson, How Women Rise. In that, there was a, a moment when I was putting that together and I brought in her and Marshall Goldsmith to do International Women's Day at eBay. And I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all this stuff and nobody knows how freaking awesome I am. I'm just doing it, thinking people know what I'm doing and nobody has any idea that I'm doing 
all these amazing things. So what I did (laughs) is I started setting my senior VP status updates. He didn't know what to make of it. I learned a lesson. You can't just blindly start saying, hey, here's all the great stuff I'm doing. It needs to be a conversation and you need to have a leader that is open to that. If you don't find a new leader, you shouldn't keep bashing your head against the wall trying to make it work when it's just not going to. So evaluate your leader. They're evaluating you. You should be evaluating them and see if they're the right place where you're going to be able to excel. I think this is a theme that has come out in a lot of episodes, this difference between men and women in self-promotion. And again, just changing the mindset and saying, it's not bad to talk about myself. It's not bad for people to know that I am doing a really good job. And it's also not bad to walk away if I'm not getting what I need. And I feel like that is also a mindset shift that we feel, I certainly have felt this in my career, like loyal to a company. And my husband would always say, they don't feel the same way about you that you feel about them. They're not loyal. Chuck it. Yeah, they're going to work to their own bottom line and self-interest. And there's nothing wrong with us doing the same. Oh, absolutely. Look at the layoffs that are happening. Here's one other benefit that I'm going to add. We had a lot of women that were impacted by it. And we actually saw higher rates of women let go than men. But I think that realizing what we saw was that it's not that they're not loyal. It's like they have a bottom line there. That's what they're going to do. And you need to put yourself and your goals and your vision and mission top. That's the life first part, right? That I write about. It's like life first model. I put my life first. What's most important for me not my loyalty to the company, to anything else. It's me first. And we have to put ourselves first in order to be successful. And we sometimes put everybody else and their priorities ahead of our own. And so we've got to bring it back in. What is it I want? What do I want to do? And it's not self-centered to be centered on yourself. I love that. It's not self-centered to be centered on yourself. I'd love to hear from you As you're in elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, as you're working with women looking to make this transition, what do you hope the tech industry looks like five years from now, 10 years from now, when it comes to inclusivity and representation? What do you want it to be? I don't want to like say it's like looks just like this, right? What I want it to be is everybody knows that there's a place for them and they belong. Whatever that looks like for a company, it's not about a numbers game. It's not 50-50. It's not this. It might be one company's all women. One company's got a mix. And it's like, I think the setting stats necessarily doesn't breed the right outcomes because it's not about that. It's about removing those restrictions we have for perceptions of who belongs and who doesn't. And I, I just hope we get to a place where we can open the doors to everybody, remove the barriers that are there. We ignore the fact that accessibility, I don't have a laptop. I might not have the means to get a car to get there. I've got life experiences that are happening all the time. Like right now, my father's going through cancer and has had a really difficult diagnosis this last week. I actually wrote 
probably two thirds of this book from hospital rooms and life happens. And we need to turn our society from a nine to five, this is how we do it to results focused. Let's be aware that empathy, emotional state needs to tie in and then allow the results and the growth to happen from there. And right now we're just not doing that. We're not allowing for that life experience to come into the workplace. And I love what you say, creating a community where if you want a place here, there is a place for you. And when we think about it and put it into words, I don't know that there's anyone who would say, no, I don't want to work at a company where everyone is welcome. Or no, I don't want to live in a world where there's space. It's becoming expected. For everyone. Like when we hear it, I don't think any of us would say, oh, no, thank you to Utopia. (laughs) I'll pass. Right? Yeah. So to your point of just being aware and talking about it, I think it clicks in our brains like, oh, yes, of course I want to live and work in a space that is open to everyone. Why would I not? Yeah. Why would I not? Why would I not? I think as our companies move forward, they need to understand that this is going to be required. This is not optional. There is a cost. And in great times when you're like, okay, I've created a culture where we don't care. I'm just going to hire my network and the people I know. I've had numerous calls from companies saying, Trina, can you help us out? We grew our company. We're ready to go to NASDAQ. And we've got these requirements for so many women on the board. And now they're trying to backtrack and recreate a whole culture that was built wrong. And employees are not employing. I can tell you, my in my community and the, the students I'm working with, they're evaluating the companies and they're talking to each other. And there is a list, a naughty list of who not to work for. It's real. I'm not going to go put myself and subject myself to additional pests. I don't want to have to have a pest control situation where I'm having to be the one to combat. And there's a lot of conversations happening like that. Am I going to go into a company where I feel like I'm going to have to be protecting myself all the time? I want to go work. I got skills to bring. I don't have time to deal with your toxic culture. And I think companies need to start realizing that that is a profitability issue for them. It's a growth issue by ignoring this and not addressing it. Yeah, we're not just talking about doing the right thing for people, but we're talking about the bottom line. The success of companies is now really tied to these principles of equity and diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I sit on a few higher education boards, and and one of the things that's been coming up is the enrollment of women into the universities is higher than men on average nationally. There's only a few colleges that don't have more female graduates than male. And I think the skilled workforce is shifting and women are entering into tech and they are in some of the work. There's not just tech moms. There's a lot of organizations helping create awareness here and, and shifting the narrative. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, but there is a lot of work being done in this space. And so if you're wanting skilled talent, you need to start looking broader. Well, Trina, we've talked about so much great advice for women, for companies. Just to end, I would love for you to tell us if you could go back 
to Trina going into college, starting your computer science degree, starting your career in tech, what is one piece of advice that you would give yourself or one piece of advice that you wish you had? Speak up anyway. Just speak up. I think that trusting in yourself and knowing you're learning and growing and doing the best you can. And then if something is coming up, either speak up and share it or move on. Because I look back and I'm like, yeah, I had a great career and I got there, but I could have gotten there faster. I could have had these things happen a lot faster had I had the courage to speak up. And I think the number one skill we're missing, myself, I'm still working on, because I'm not saying it's easy to speak up. It's a skill that needs to be developed to be, oh, I'm going to say something. I'm going to get over that fear. The last thing I would add here in regards to the fear, I share a few stories in my book about women that are have gone through and overcome some pretty incredible barriers, right? Very inspirational. Every single one of them, after I got done writing it, was about ready to publish, called me in a panic. Trina, I can't publish this. I can't have that out there. Even though I changed names, that fear that we have been instilled with of speaking up is larger than I had realized. And we need to recognize we're dealing with fear, but without pushing through that, like do something you fear every day. It might just be speaking up on your own behalf is like the thing you fear most and you've got to do it. And that's what I would tell myself. Trina, this has been such an illuminating conversation. I'm so grateful to you for sharing your honest experiences and really giving us a lot to think about as individuals and as organizations. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode exploring the experience of women in the workplace and how we can all be part of changing companies and communities to be more empathetic and inclusive places. I hope you'll join us. Don't forget to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and a review too. You can also follow us at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time. Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.